0: Hello, and welcome to the
1: TFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine, and I'm joined now by Alex Stewart. Hey, Joe. Seb, sef, Hello, Joe. Hello. Uh, how's it going? Today we'll be talking about Leicester City's set-piece delivery and its ineffectiveness. But also, we'll be talking about Spurs, and you know, what? <laughs> what? We'll be talking about what with Spurs, including Eric Lamella and, of course, Lloris. So that's going to be lots of fun. Uh, There'll be a return to Joe's player quotes and facts list uh, midway through the second half. Uh, But for now, let me remind you, if you like the Champions League, and who doesn't like the Champions League? Why? Because that's a league for champions, and everyone listening to this is a champion. Am I right? Am I right? Am I right? Someone tell me I'm right? No? Yeah, I am right. Uh, Listen. If you like it, though, it comes back this week, so that's a great thing. And hey, as a consequence, there's no better time to sign up for our unrivaled coverage here. At the Athletic until February the 25th which is 10 days from the moment I'm saying this we're offering new subscribers a half price annual subscription that's a half price annual subscription that's less than £1 a week for an entire year but do you know what that actually is that's 8p a day maybe we should resurface the 8p a day song people seem to like that but simply visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO today to avail yourselves of the 8p per day offer and enjoy the
2: Champions League League, am i right do you know how many days it is since the champions league group stages before it properly comes back i don't know what what what, what, what can you rephrase the question so i can understand you <laughs> <laughs> what is the gap between the champions league group stage and the resumption of fixtures i don't <laughs> 45 days no no 69 did you just want to say the word 69 is that why you've because people like to meme on that and I don't know is that you or are you just saying that because that's a it, long time I'm just reading. it's it's the opening line of the athletics guide to the Champions League knockout phase 69 <laughs> days after the I just thought it was important for people to know that
1: <laughs> well if you visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO you can avail yourselves anyway please I, do I that. don't understand no you wouldn't uh, anyway that's all uh, welcome to today's episode. And I will leave you in the, the warm hands and the cucka cucka cool embrace of uh, Seb Stafford Bloor and uh, old man Alex Stewart. Let's just begin with Spurs. Um, I, I I sort of trailed this in the last episode by describing them as a, you know a team that make me feel like being in a long term relationship. You know, do other couples do this? What's happening? I have no perspective, and I think we should pick up from that point um, because I was reading uh, Jack Pitt Brooks and I think Mark Carey might have uh, been involved too, or one of the one of the data chaps from the Athletic. Great great team. Uh, wrote this piece a, a week or two ago, talking about. This very thing. How do you identify a Mourinho Spurs? What actually is it? How good is it? Um, And there's a a couple of notes I've taken from this piece. The first is probably widely known, right? Or at least even if you didn't know the specific stat, you probably could have guessed that 50% of Tottenham's chances have been created by Son and Kane. Now, that could be a good thing or that could be a bad thing. We'll come back to that. Also, Spurs have been leading in games for the second longest of all clubs in the Premier League after Manchester City, which sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? Uh, But then we read the final one, which is that Spurs have turned wins into draws in the last 16 minutes of five games from 22. And those teams include Newcastle, West Ham, Palace, Wolves and Fulham. They would be 10 points better off if they hadn't thrown away leads in those games. So whilst we're going to talk about them uh, in today's episode as they relate to uh, losing 3-0 to Manchester City, this is perhaps not actually necessarily the main problem. Um, and of course, also, if you're a subscriber to The Athletic, you will have seen Monday morning David Ornstein discussing Mourinho's contract. Um, David Ornstein there just, uh, just letting everybody know that he's Mourinho signed till the summer of 2023, and there's no break clause. And as we know from Mourinho's past, He's expensive to get rid of. So, Seb, with all of that in mind, Seb, poor Seb, should Spurs continue <laughs> with Mourinho?
3: God, what a way to start a week. I mean, we're recording yeah, this on Monday morning. For everybody's perspective, that's the first thing that's greeted me in my working week is the news of Jose Mourinho being pretty much unsackable for the foreseeable future. Yep, it's a It's a tough pill to swallow. It's very difficult, Joe, because... I think one of the defenses of Mourinho or at least one of the the rationales going forward is that if he were to be endowed with uh, maybe four or five new players, specifically a couple of centre backs, probably another midfielder, maybe even another goalkeeper at a cost of, I don't know, £250 million, £300 million, something like that, then uh, he would no doubt improve this side. But I think the broader and more important question is whether if you have those resources available... Uh, at Tottenham whether Jose Mourinho is the right person to uh, give them to because I don't think it's particularly controversial to say that they are much worse than they were now at the beginning of Mourinho's reign I think um, the last couple of weeks taking all the issues about style and um, the prioritization of Defending, and you mentioned that statistic about taking a slender lead and then collapsing back into their own half and inviting lots of crosses and free kicks and corners from which they inevitably concede. Forget all of that. What's really concerning is just how vulnerable pretty much every player in his first 11 now looks. One of Mourinho's common refrains is to talk about individual mistakes after disappointing defeats. He did it again after Man City. Uh, he did it after the Liverpool game, and he's not wrong. There are a lot of mistakes being made. At the same time, however, if if it's a couple of error prone players, then you kind of just drop them, don't you? When it's a yeah. core of error prone players who are now looking um, as bereft of confidence as they have at any other point of their career, I think then you you can't you can't distance yourself from that as a manager. It's a really weird thing. This this idea that. If individual mistakes are happening within a team, then that is something completely beyond the control of a head coach. That seems a very strange mentality for me that players playing badly is not something that falls under the job description of Jose Mourinho. I, I, please jump in if you guys disagree. But No, I, um, I don't disagree. I want to
1: take the point to Alex, too, because I think I've noticed this as well. He brings this up a lot. Um, and, you know, I suppose the idea is to say, well, the system's working, it's just the individual errors leading to goals. Presumably, Alex, errors happen in football games, and coaches have to accept that they are going to happen. You don't, you very rarely have a, a football game where at least one or two errors don't occur. Maybe they're not massive, but players aren't perfect. And as a coach, you have to expect that. So if you play, or if you're att- intending to play a style of football where one error uh, leads to a goal, and a goal is as costly as it is in a low score, in game then
2: presumably the coaches have to accept that before they before they attempt that style yeah totally um i mean there there is no there is no player however good they are that that isn't going to make a mistake of some description at some point and and so it comes exactly like you say it comes down to an acceptance of that trying to mitigate that with certain things and obviously i think one of the things that Mourinho has done defensively and let's not forget that this is a season where some of those defensive performances I'm thinking particularly the the tuna will against Manchester City have been absolutely lauded for how how well that defensive system worked, so there is a degree to which you know that this is a topsy turvy season and it's worked a lot, and now it's not working quite so well um but I think that also goes again like seb says to yeah you know, if if you're looking to mitigate those errors, one of the ways is to upgrade the players and and I think particularly at center back. I mean Davidson Sanchez became a meme in, in in quite quite extraordinary fashion. You know that that that's the sort of error that we've seen from Sanchez before, maybe not as extreme, but you know, a misjudgment of flight um the being muscled despite the fact that he's significantly larger than than Gunduan. You know, the, these sorts of things shouldn't really happen. Um and and I I guess the the problem then is would Spurs have sufficient funds and is Mourinho necessarily the person uh, to spend them? I mean, the Hoiberg signing has been very successful. Uh, Reguillon, I'd argue, has been a good signing as well. Um, but, the, you know, the, the, it. this is a squad that that, yes, it probably needs an overhaul. But again, I go back to this fact that after the Everton loss, first game of the season when Tottenham were absolutely woeful and everyone got really excited about Everton as well they then went on a run of Premier League games where they didn't lose again until mid December yeah and that was to Liverpool so well you know, let me they... bring this
1: up again because this is this is a really fine point Alex that the five teams that they have been leading against and dropped points in the last 16 minutes were Newcastle, Palace, Wolves, Fulham—the only one here that I think this is maybe slightly different is West Ham, who are having a fantastic season. The other teams, Wolves don't score goals, I don't score many of them, so the idea that when you're ahead you drop points is is you know is is unlikely, I suppose. Uh, Fulham, Newcastle, Palace—none uh, of none of whom are having fantastic seasons. If they had, uh, you know, I know this isn't how football works, but let's just say, for example, that they hadn't dropped a goal in those games and they'd kept those points. They'd be 10 points better off. They would currently be point level with Manchester United and Leicester in second and third place. We expect them maybe to lose to Manchester City. A Manchester City in the current form that they're in, we expect them maybe to lose to Liverpool, right? This isn't so much the problem. Uh, So when you you consider that, I mean, that seems like a very un-Mourinho-like thing to do. And then it kind of, you know, it seems like discussions of squad overhaul are kind of, they seem a bit alarming to me. Because you think, well, actually, they've got a a number of uh, very, very good players. Uh, Burr has come in and has been fantastic this season, and Dombele is uh, is showing much more of his quality, and it seems to be trusted by Mourinho now, which is fantastic. Obviously, you've got the the, the Kane and Son access and when they're playing well and that counter attack is working, they're you know scintillating. They're some of the best forwards in the league, and um, we've got Eric Gamella, who we're going to come on to talk about, and of course we've, we you know we're going to talk about uh, lorries too. Um, But it feels like you know. But for you know, a tweak here or there. I'm not trying to defend Mourinho. I'm just. I'm. I think I'm trying to defend Spurs generally. It seems like that's the problem. Losing to Manchester City isn't so much a problem. The way in which they lost, which which they were, and I hope Seb will agree with me, almost entirely abject and offered literally nothing to the game. That's a problem. But uh, that they lost here isn't a problem. It's these other games
2: that are. I think that's fair. I mean, you know, I'd I'd say with the Fulham game, for example, they created significantly better chances. That's a game that on most other days they would have won. You know, there's... I I suppose all I'm saying is that I'm being slightly cautionary in terms of the fact that this is a very topsy-turvy season and people are... there's, There's a kind of seizing on narratives, things ebb backwards and forwards... Spurs started the season really strongly quite a few of the games that they've lost are games that you would probably have expected them to lose I think this is much more a stylistic point it's the fact that when when you play a certain style of football and it doesn't work the perception of that is more damaging than if you were playing an exciting attacking brand of football and that didn't work you could have the same set of results but it's the manner of of the results, it's the defensiveness, it's the caginess, it's the reliance on a couple of players that makes it feel worse than it possibly is.
1: No, fair enough. Seb, I'm going to ask you about Eric Lamella now uh, because you know
2: <laughs> I love
0: him.
1: By the way, he made he made yesterday's game quite fun uh, to watch. Um, but we were talking with producer Adonis in the WhatsApp chat during the game. Uh, Alex and I were praising uh, Lamella's shithousery just for our entertainment value. And Adonis uh, said, what is he actually good at, though? And so I thought, uh, you know, that's a, good, that's a good question for the podcast. Seb, what
3: is Eric Lamella actually good at? A couple of different things. I, I suppose with the ball, he's a very decadent player. He's someone that doesn't overly concern himself with the problems associated with giving it away. He'll happily take risks. He will dwell on the ball. He'll hold it for longer than he's supposed to. When he's running to the teeth of a defence, he's happy to try something. Um, He's a very low percentage player in that way. Um, Without the ball, I think it's an easier case to make. He's a very hardworking player. He is absolutely... Well, he must be absolutely horrible to play against because he's all elbows and studs and he's got that sort of um, provocative attitude to him, which... If I was a fan of any other any other club in the division I'd hate Eric Lamallette but because he's yours, you love him because there's a spirit to him that um doesn't endear him to the fan base entirely but those who appreciate him that's the kind of thing that they focus on but that being said he is he's always been a very divisive footballer uh, even before his his serious hip injury which kept him out for about a year and a half which I'd argue he's never really been the same athlete ever since. He's very rarely been able to play more than once a week since then. Um, Even before then, and I think this is partly because he was signed with the Gareth Bale money and because he was a left-footed player and because a lot of people who didn't know quite what he was were expecting something a little bit more Bale-like from Lamella, which he was, as anyone who watched him play for Roma will know, he was never going to be that player. Um, So he's he's, he's like... um, He's the thing that Tottenham fans have been arguing over for the longest period of time, with the exception of Daniel Levy and Enoch. <laughs> he's uh, he's contentious. But I, I've always I've always liked Terry Lamella. Like I I if you accept him for what he is, which is that he is gonna turn the ball over, he is gonna try things, and you know, he's very binary, he is gonna disappoint you as much as he's going to entertain you. Uh, then if you if you if you know where you stand with that kind of
2: player, it, it's an easier relationship, I think.
1: Alex, he looks delighted to be a Mourinho player.
2: <laughs> yes, um, I mean, uh, for a for an attacking midfielder winger, his his defensive work rate is is extraordinarily high. Um, I mean, there is one interesting thing: his pressure numbers are fantastic. His interception numbers are significantly lower, which I think means uh, there's a degree to which he rushes into those pressures without necessarily. Um, having the right sort of angles to then actually win the ball back. Um, but in terms of how much effort he puts into it and the degree to which he's able to, to push defensive players back or at least give them something to worry about, that's that's fantastic. You know, I, I look back over some of his previous play. There's a goal he scored. Seb will almost certainly remember this because he has an encyclopedic knowledge for these things. A goal he scored against Middlesbrough in January of 2020. Um which is I mean it's just glorious it's a slaloming little run and then a lovely dinked finish and he's very he's he seems like a very good finisher of the ball um my concern with him under Mourinho is that he spends so much time pressuring chasing working hard being a shithouse that actually his ability to get into the box on the end of things and finish competently which he Does and has done very well in the past has been diminished. Um, So, you know, I feel like maybe if Lamella was freed up a little bit to be slightly more attacking, we'd see more of him because I think he's got the skill set for that.
3: Alex, do you think maybe there's a little bit too much responsibility in this system? So, I mean, one of the things that occurred to me when I was watching the City game was that, uh, and this was obviously um, a couple of days after Mourinho had had praised Lamella and talked about him as a sort of an agent of chaos. One of the problems seems to be that in a Mourinho attacking structure, if you take the uh, the Kane Son axis and the counter attacking dynamic out of things, then what you're left with is individual players carrying the ball into areas where they're outnumbered and then being asked to kind of ad lib their way to a good solution. And if you do that with Eric Lamella, you you kind of tempt him along that sort of long road of of indulgence, which kind of frustrates people. And it feels like there, there is so little happening. Uh, around attacking players at Tottenham when they cross the halfway line, unless the ball is with uh, at Kane's feet or Son's feet, and actually, let's be honest, Son looks absolutely spent um, as a as a as a player at the moment, which is completely understandable because he's been running to the ground. But nothing is happening. There's no, there are no, there are no, there's no running. There's no consolidation of possession. I, I, to be honest with you, given given the sort of the quality of footballers in that side, it's amazing how uncomfortable Spurs look with the ball. <laughs> It's it's like they're a basketball team. They can't they can either go forward or they can fall back, but they can't just hold the ball and they can't sort of they can't spend any time sort of drawing the sting of a game or uh, trying to alter the flow of momentum within it. And that Eric Lemmel in that context is uh, more likely to be <laughs> be a problem than an asset. I think.
2: I th- I think that's right. And and in fact, here's a sort of slightly weird parallel for you, Alan sam Maximan in early this season Newcastle, um, where you know the, the one opportunity that he would have during games was to get the ball relatively deep and try and carry it forwards in the absence of a great deal of support. And Lamella is a good ball carrier, there's no doubt about that. But his starting position is so deep. Um, really what you want with Lamella, I think, from having watched past clips where he's been successful, is you want him up with an attack where there's at least a couple of other people who are making runs that are drawing defenders away. And he, he seems to thrive making those, those little runs kind of into the space around the penalty area, carrying the ball forward slightly and then shooting or passing. You know, he's the kind of player who worked very well in how uh, Mauricio Pochettino constructed Spurs' attacking system You know, with those little interchanges, players running from deep, players finding space in between the lines, his starting position under Mourinho is too deep to be able to do that because he's got these defensive responsibilities. It's exactly the same. You know, again, we praise Steven Bergwijn in that Man City win for how much he acted effectively as a second right sided wing back. But if you've got players like that and that's what they're doing, then of course they're not going to be up there for every single attack and linking play and finding space be- because they're spending all of their time in their defensive third. So- well, th- this is the thing, and I think this is the crucial point actually because I- I've got a um,
3: one of my Spurs supporting friends. His thing is um hates Lamella as a starter but thinks he's an excellent substitute. Um, and I think that's, that's, quite a, that's a kind of a reflection of what you just said there because I think... When you take away, say say you're um, so you've got a 2-1 lead, 1-0 lead, when you bring on Lamella against a team who are committing more numbers, who are taking more risks with the ball and making themselves more liable to turn over possession, he's very good because he can he, he can start relatively high, but he can also retrieve the ball and use it quite quickly in attacking situations. Whereas if you use him, if you use him from the start in a Mourinho system, which is um, habitually far more cautious then you're 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 lumbering him with things which and let, let let's not look beyond the athletic thing he is not physically what he was he's i mean if you look at if you watch him run as a 21 22 year old versus how he moves now he's fundamentally different and this is a kind Absolutely. of a legacy of a very serious injury and uh, the acceleration has kind of gone and you know he looks he looks older than he is um, but it's um it just seems to be about usage with him He looks like you could cut glass on his cheekbones, though, doesn't he? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
2: he's he's got that sort of Italian model vibe, hasn't he? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Well,
1: anyway, uh, speaking of another Italian model, we're going to move to a French model now.
0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hugo Lloris. Uh,
1: it been a for some time um, but never quite... As bad as it is now, it doesn't seem. Uh, Of course, there were discussions about the the softness of the goals that he conceded over the weekend and the softness of some of the goals that he's conceded recently. But beyond that, uh, you know, his kicking's always been bad. And uh, as Seb writes here, uh, the control he used to exert over his defenders now seems non-existent. So obvious question is, and this is
3: extra complicated by the fact that he's the club's captain. Seb, what happens next? I think you have to replace him at some point. I think Looking at his Spurs career as a whole, he has done an awful lot of good. But I have a little bit of a theory with goalkeepers that once they reach a certain point and you can kind of it's not it's not a statistical measure. It's not like something you can really quantify. It's just a feeling you get of a point of no return. <laughs> and Tottenham goalkeepers have um, have kind of proven this in past. like Paul Robinson reached it, became just an irretrievable um situation for him. His form was so bad. Brad Friedel got old and, you know, started refusing to leave his yeah. goal line. They're like that dogs that crawl under the porch to die, aren't they? Well, yeah, well, you can also you can go back to Ian Walker, who who reached the same point, had a good career, and then yeah, sort of um yeah, tailed off quite badly. Laris, he just the number of soft goals is amazing. Uh you know, he still makes the occasional good save, but if you look at the the Everton game, it's not just about you hear the, the phrase "chocolate wrist" being uh, thrown around, and there's a little bit of that. His his hands have become very soft, but also if you look at things like a starting position and um, how, if you look at the, the Bernard goal, for instance. You look at we we talked about it on the last podcast about how what a nice ball through it was from a Gulfie And we were right. But at the same time, from a goalkeeper's perspective, that ball hangs in the air a little bit. Uh, it checks on the grass. And Larice just he 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 settles on just um adopting a position, allowing Bernard to set his feet, take his time and score. And that's a in, in isolation, fine, it's just a choice and it's a bad one and we, we all look at the fact that a goal's been scored and we criticise the goalkeeper for it. Okay, but this is a trend with Lloris. He does this again and again and again and again. There's not enough aggression in his goalkeeping for my liking. Um, and I don't know, I I, uh, I was speaking to David Priest about this in the past about sort of the effect that a, a fragile goalkeeper can have on a, on a defence. And if you look at the kind of mistakes that Tottenham's defence are making mixed in with all of their other areas, I don't know whether Luis is responsible for that, but it's certainly not benefiting them um, because it, it's absolute chaos. I mean, they I watched the Everton game last night against Fulham and I can't believe the Spurs conceded five goals to that team. It's just terrible. <laughs> he also, he doesn't look happy, you know.
1: And I, yeah, I want people to be happy. How old is he now? He's, he's in his in, in his 33, I 33, 33, I think. 33.
3: 32, yeah. 33.
1: Maybe he should just retire and go and... You know, do something like he could become a painter, or maybe he could start a vineyard, or you know, uh, take up collecting minerals or something. But well, you know, I mean, I, I d- want him. I d- want d- d- him
3: to be happy, Seb. But uh, Joe, the, the the pathway to that happiness for him doesn't necessarily lie in starting a vineyard. I mean, it could do. I mean, don't get me wrong. But but he still probably has a few years left as a goalkeeper. I think it's his situation. I think if you're a Tottenham player who has Gone through the uh, the uh, Mauricio Pochettino era, and uh, Luis arrived at the club during the um, during the Andrea Boas era. So he's been there a long yeah. time now, and he's seen a lot it's of not, managers. And just to tank. clarify, I want to I'm going to interrupt you, and I'm going to
1: interrupt you to say it's not that I don't think he still has a few years left in him. It's not that. It's just do you know when you're doing something and you just bail. <laughs> You yeah, book this. this, <laughs> or, this is, no, this hold on, hold on. You book like a though. you book a concert ticket and then you don't <laughs> go. But actually, that evening at home is the best evening at home you've had in a long time. Even though you've been at home every evening, that evening it's like you're running away from something. Or you know you're in a you're in a long term relationship that, that you're unhappy in, and one day you just leave. You know what I'm saying? People just run away, running away it doesn't solve problems. But it feels amazing when you run away. What I'm advocating for is just running away.
3: Why not Why doesn't he just run away? Well, I, I think he might do because I think if you were, if you'd been at the club during the Maurizio Pochettino era and you'd seen yeah. the title challenges and the European Cup final, yeah. and now you're looking at what your future probably holds here, I mean, run away. Right, I mean, there must be that—that that, that must be the impulse because you're not thinking, "Oh, we're we're on the verge of doing something here." Maybe they are, but I mean, that wouldn't be the, the feeling inside the Tottenham squad. It's a, it is the um quote unquote long, painful rebuild, and this looks like a process which is you know probably got two, three years left to run. So, and you know, there, there are there are negative connotations linked to this, aren't there?
1: People say things like, "Oh, rats fleeing a sinking ship," but I think, hey, if I was on a sinking ship, I'd flee. I don't mind being a rat, rats are, are ultra-competitive animals, they can gnaw through brick, you know, they're, they can squeeze through any kind of hole, yeah, really good self-preservation, uh, you know, they can, they can survive with all these diseases that would kill everything else, they're killers of the underworld! You know, I'd happily be a rat. If the ship is sinking, <laughs> you should get off the ship. You don't want to be on the ship. That's There'd be ghosts in the ship. You don't want to drown. Well, I'm, all I'm saying is I want him to be happy. And I feel like if he just considered the thing about the minerals or the vineyard, you know, maybe just get your ducks in order for three years down the line when you are ready. I'm sure he's doing that. I, I'd just be curious to know what he's doing. How do people spend their days? Anyway, we're, we're going to be back after this break. Uh, to talk about Leicester, and uh, specifically Leicester's set-pieces. Alright, let's talk about Leicester's set-pieces. Um, because, uh, again, this is an observation made by uh, producer Adonis, watching uh, Leicester-Liverpool um, over the weekend. Of course, they won the game, we'll come to discuss that. Uh, but the first thing that, uh, that was noticed was uh, every time there was a set-piece, it was a bad set-piece, and Alex looked at the stats.
2: I did look at the stats, yes. Um, Tell me the stats. Well, so Leicester so far, according to Opta, have scored no assists or registered no assists from dead balls. They've got two from set plays. The distinction there is that a set play is when players sort of still in the same phase. So they haven't necessarily got one that's directly from a header from a free kick, but when the ball's bubbling around and stuff, they score two. That's right at the bottom of the league. Um so I had to look at how they're taking their set pieces and and kind of the I mean they've got two major problems. The first is that Madison uh has this ability to to whip a ball in quite low, um, but quite often he's playing it right on the margin of where the offside line is. And so it's either quite easy for the first man to head out, or it's going straight through to the goalkeeper because He's trying to angle it in towards. This is particularly from Leicester's left-hand side to have runners bursting beyond. They also just aren't that large a side. So if they no. floated up, which Leicester tend not to do, um, when those uh, attacking the 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 set-piece ball are static, which again seems to be an issue, uh, they're not really generating any momentum. So when Leicester have taken good free kicks... They've either been quite clever ones where they've sort of chipped it into a wide space and then had a player trying to pull it back or they've they did there was one against Southampton that was quite good where actually the central defenders stood back and then ran forwards following the flight of the ball so they could attack it forwards but for some reason they tend not to have been doing this all of that 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 much of the time it's it's static it's predictable the first ball is going too close to the goalkeeper or the centre halves that are defending it are able to knock it out because Leicester's guys are so static. It it just seems like they're not they're not really thinking that much about how they can maximise those opportunities.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Seb, they are uh, third in the league, uh, but joint points, uh, 46 with Manchester United in second, it seems unusual to me, maybe it's not, but it seems unusual to me that a team that is sort of that well established, uh, you know, in mid-season within the top four is also bottom of the league for stuff relating to set pieces like this, because the, the, the other stat I think Alex didn't mention is that they are 18th in the Premier League with three goals from set pieces overall. Uh, And that feels like with the quality of delivery that they have, they are a small team, as mentioned, but they do have players like Fafana, Evans, Soyuncu, Amati, who are tall and, you know, he's certainly big enough to have an impact. That feels like a kind of odd, um, obviously not hugely affecting their season, but it feels like a a room for improvement in that area, which could make Leicester even better.
3: Yeah, because especially in a season like this, Joe, because they're cheap goals, aren't they? Set-piece goals. They are, they're kind of... And and with, with, with someone like Ciancho, I know he's had a few injury issues and um, obviously Fafana is now out for quite a long time, but you just think that at the very least, even if those players aren't scoring goals, you can probably use them to do something at a set-piece situation. You've got Vardy, is obviously a very instinctive player and can you know cause difficulties around goalkeeper. Ian Acho scored a very nice, uh, not quite set piece header, but you know set piece like header against Brighton in the FA Cup last week. And you just think there's opportunities there. You have the delivery and you have the utilities to to mine some goals out of this area, and yet they don't um, they don't seem to do it. It's strange, and you just wonder also what Leicester could be achieving were they to add that to their game. I think that's Ooh. the important
2: thing here. That's the exciting thing. The problem is that certainly in the last few games, Leicester seem to be trying to take free kicks in the same way that they try and create other goals, which is by having clever little movements that get ahead of defenders. And so these low whipped um, crosses from set pieces that are bending in towards the goalkeeper so they can play right on the edge of the line to maximise the ability of people like Vardy and Barnes to make those little runs and get fractionally ahead. But that's that's a very low percentage way of taking a set-piece because as it's bending towards the goalkeeper, if the goalkeeper's proactive, they can come out and gather it. You have to make sure that you are paying attention to where the line is, particularly in the VAR era. It seems like if they almost if they went back to a kind of more straightforward style of having their larger players making runs from deep and attacking the ball in the direction of the goal rather than sort of standing there and waiting for it to come to them, um, they, they'd have more joy. It's, it's almost like they're trying to be a bit too clever and and score from set pieces the way they look to score from open play. And it's, it's not working. I mean, the good teams from from set piece perspective this season... West Ham, Everton, Southampton, although over half of those are just direct from Ward Prowse, um, and Wolves and Villa, and they're all they're all teams with good set piece delivery, but also with tall players that aggressively attack the ball, uh, and Leicester are not aggressively attacking the ball in that way.
1: No, okay. Well, speaking of aggressive attacking, it's time for Joe's player quotes and facts list.
2: <laughs> It's Joe's Quotes and
1: Facts Database! Yes, that's right. You've joined database. us in the cavern. It, the database, list, database. What did I call it? You call it a list, uh, which really understand. Joe's it, Player so. Quotes and Facts Database, yeah? Seb, if you um, were a better uh, person who understood funny things better, you'd know that I'm deliberately calling it something different than the jingle every time, so that that would be a funny conflict, but you have actually just stepped in and smash that joke to pieces there. So uh, thanks for that. Nope, no retort. There we go. The quiet, unfunny man. That's what we'll call you, Sir. It's Joe's Quotes and Facts Database. Kasper Schmeichel is a goalkeeper who plays for Leicester City. Now, fact about Kasper Schmeichel, you all ready for the fact? Everyone knows about his dad, but did you know that his granddad was a well-known pianist in Denmark,
2: Tolek Schmeichel? No, I didn't know that. that. Can I I just ask, given that the first time you did this was with Arsenal and you were working through sequentially by position, Uh why have you jumped to Leicester?
1: I, because we were going to talk about Leicester and, <laughs> and I haven't uh, haven't finished anything else. I just remembered about 10 minutes before uh, that, um, you know, I hadn't done this. So I needed to do and I knew we were going to talk about Leicester as a deadster. So I figured I'd just do okay, basically yeah. just two players I mean, hey, it's, here. it's
2: your section, isn't it? So Yeah, well, that's the I'm thing. Not, I mean, I'm it, fit, it feels at the moment
1: not like it is because first I've had jip from Seb and now I'm getting jip from you. No, uh, no, no. Adonis, it's, do you want to drop in and jip me?
2: I'm just, I'm just asking <laughs> questions. Am I not allowed? Okay. To- <laughs> well,
1: and your question was, tell me a fact and quote about Danny Ward, the second goalkeeper. That- Exactly that, yes thank you. That's nice, okay Well Danny Ward, uh, here's a fact about Danny Ward He's only made two appearances for all of his parent clubs And that was Wrexham, Liverpool and Leicester And both of those were for Liverpool
2: uh, Yes I, I, I mean yep. I knew that he had made a couple of appearances for Liverpool is, he's a, is he a Welsh international? I think so, yeah I mean he's played a lot on loan And he had a successful campaign with Huddersfield I
1: believe But for his parent clubs, just the two yeah, uh, which is a kind of odd thing, isn't it? It's a different life, the goalkeepers. It really is. Um, but anyway, his quote, a quote from Danny Ward, says, uh, uh, "Love it, the boy. go and show everyone what you're about, my bro." At Ash Taylor, look after the codfather for me, big dog. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Who's the codfather? I don't know. <laughs> wow. What was less? What, sorry, what was Casper Schmeichel's quote?
1: Quotation. <laughs> I didn't do, Sorry, I didn't do his Casper Schmeichel quote. I didn't do Casper Schmeichel's quotation. Here, here's Kasper Schmeichel's quotation. Your face when you get asked about your dad for the fourth time in a row <laughs> at a World Cup press conference. <laughs> I think there was a picture attached to that Instagram quote, but, you know, I'll leave you to imagine. I mean, put it this way. He's not making a massive smiley face with two thumbs up. Uh, but, uh, you know, love it the boyo. What can you do? That's Kasper Schmeichel and Danny Ward. Thanks to both of them for their participation. Uh, and we'll be back to Joe's Player Quotes and Lists Facts next week, uh, or on actually later this week, when Literally I've remembered to do more of them. It's Joe's Quotes and Facts Database. So that's nice, isn't it? Um, so exciting. Let, let's return to the real world now. Uh, we've got a short period left, and I'm keen to uh, just visit Brendan Rogers just for a moment. I know he's not in the pod plan gang. I know he's not there. And hands up if anyone wants to take this, but it feels like the Brendan Rogers, the big dad, the cool dad, you know, the daddy-o, daddy-o might be ready for, hmm? Not now, obviously. We don't want to take him away from Leicester City. I'm just saying, you know, would is, is there a big club out there that's going to take take a take a bit of a gamble on Daddy-O?
2: Aren't Leicester big? Well, no. I just I I mean yeah, Leicester I s- are big. Yeah. I, I suppose. I'm not I saying suppose... they're
1: not big. I'm just saying like a bit like a club that is distinct from Leicester on its uh you know on a financial basis, for example.
2: I mean, but isn't that an interesting question? Like Leicester, Leicester are playing extremely well. They've been consistently towards the top end of the division for the last number of seasons. They're more consistently there than some of the other "quote unquote" big six, big seven clubs. Yeah, they've won the Premier League more recently than most of those. Like, I just make it an interesting question because the list of clubs that you might leave Leicester to go to,
1: presumably, he's is now tiny. increasingly
2: small. one of which he's already been at as well. With yeah, Liverpool. Yeah. Um, but yes, I mean, I think like look at the the tactical change that he made. I, I think Michael Cox wrote an article about it. Um, against Liverpool in the second half. Like that was good, clever tactical management. Um he's getting a lot from younger players. Obviously Leicester have got a good recruitment set up in the background. Um most of their signings have paid off and, and the ones that even have been a bit questionable is largely down to injury rather than anything else. Um so yeah, he probably is, but I just I wonder if there's something about Leicester's position the dynamic there the fact that there isn't the pressure to bring in huge players on on big wages for big fees and stuff is actually suits him better Um, and it might be the place where he can do the most damage.
1: Seth, by the way, I just noticed. I just noticed that uh, you actually left the room when I was chastising you. <laughs> you went really quiet when I was mocking you for interrupting
3: me, and I felt bad. But it turns out you actually left the room. <laughs> I, I actually, I, I, I left. I walked out. I, I not only left the room, I left the flat because we're we're moving house, and we right. uh, we had a an issue with DHL with our, some of our boxes, so I had to.
1: Had
0: to Did go. you hear
3: me call you the quiet, unfunny man?
2: No. But no. I okay well i did do that (laughs) now you okay now you know now Now i know know. go on
3: finish what you were going to say yeah i was going to say i think brennan rogers is is exactly where he should be because i i think if you were a for instance a a liverpool sized club then you would still have reservations about what happened last time he was there and how his, his personality responds to that kind of scrutiny and that kind of spotlight um at leicester I think he benefits from obviously working with a particular type of player, but also working in a particular type of environment. There's something about Brendan Rodgers which I'm not sure what the right way is to describe it, but he can become he becomes his own enemy sometimes, and he can get a little bit carried away. And I know some of these things are outdated, and he's toned down uh, the more um, outlandish parts of his personality. But it's the stepdad thing. Yeah, the kind of you, the Mo the Raheem Sterling moment from the being Liverpool. Also, the way he carries himself in interviews, he he's learned some lessons, and he's obviously he I think he's been chastened by some of the criticism, and you know, people people had the you know made fun of him quite. Um, no people were quite cruel at times and you know the david brent stuff was a little bit unfair but i i think he's responded to it but i think people would still have reservations about putting him back in that position until probably until he won something outside of scotland i think do you ever watch grandma's house you know the simon amstel
1: uh sitcom only had two series on bbc no no well you know glenn from the thick of it i do yes yeah yeah Glenn plays yeah, yeah. the stepdad in that, or like the mum's boyfriend in that. And he is the best mum's boyfriend stroke stepdad character. He, he's, he plays it so well. You can imagine, you know, Glenn, he's gone glentil. Um, yeah. Anyway, speaking of TV, <laughs> oh my God, Adam Curtis has released a new series on the BBC High Player. Is everyone enjoying it?
3: I'm still on He's Gone Glentor.
1: He's Gone Glentor. that's a line of direct For quote. some reason, from whenever I of it, think yeah. of
2: whenever I think of Glenn from the thick of it I think of that line where somebody shouts at him because he's listening to opera and says, it's just vowels. <laughs> 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 which, which is just, yeah, yeah. It's,
1: um, listen, it's there's nobody true. watched Can't Get Out Of My Head in Emotional History. Adam Curtis's, uh six part uh, extravaganza. Nobody, nobody here? Anybody here? Mm-hmm. I feel because like you're is...
3: quite close to making this like a mandatory company-wide viewing yep. experience. Pretty sure, you... pretty yeah. sure it's going to yeah. be. And also, yeah. by the way, Tipos,
1: it's a mandatory typo viewing exercise. That's right. Uh, we are not sponsored by the BBC. <laughs> and in fact, probably would be encouraged not to do this. But I
2: insist, I insist. Adam Curtis came up in a, I was reading an article recently about burial, the the southwest yeah. london musician he loves burial he absolutely loves him yeah
1: yeah he talks about burial in the most hilarious way he talks about him as if burials discovered some kind of new
2: art it's a <laughs> new way of looking at the world it's very interesting but then but yeah. what i find interesting is that the way burial makes music is is not dissimilar to the way adam curtis makes film
1: yeah yeah i think that's I why know, that, know, you know, know people always strained. like things that reaffirm their own strength don't they yeah, that's why
2: I like the
1: best footballers. Anyway, um, do watch that's that. In, does the that include thing.
2: Danny Ward, who's not yeah. made a first-team appearance for any does. club He's... since 2017?
1: Yes, it does. And love it, the boy That's what I'll say. Look the after cod the Codfather, father. me big dog. Uh, Right, Uh, we've got to go now. We're going to talk about Arsenal, I think, probably next week because we had a little bit on the pod plan here uh, in case we had time, but we don't have time. So, ever so sorry, Arsenal fans, but we'll get to you and your small club, yeah? I'm just angry, I'm jonesing. I don't mean it, I'm jonesing. Martin Erdegaard, we're going to talk about that. That's very exciting. And Bakayo Saka too. I am actually excited about that. But for Thursday, for Thursday, we'll do that. Uh, For now, Seb Stafford-Blore, thank you. Thank you, Joe Devine. And Alex Stewart, thank you. Thank you, Joe. To the Tipos, to the Flute Gang, to the Tifo friends out there, au revoir, we'll be back on Thursday. Goodbye!
0: Athletic.